And so there in the Vatican, one of the things that I definitely had high on my list of things I wanted to do during that trip was to go to his tomb and to thank him for all that he had done and all he had done for me as a priest and now as a bishop, and to ask him (laughs) to pray for me as a bishop. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condorla. My name is Derek Lissy. How are you doing this week, Bishop? Okay. Yeah. yeah. We uh, <laughs> we now are a couple of weeks into our Lenten journey. Yeah. And Lent this year had this wonderful uh, beginning on a cultural feast day in a way, Valentine's Day. But interestingly, people forget that Valentine was a Saint Valentine, and Saint Valentine was a martyr. So it's correct that Valentine's, even culturally, is focused on love, even on romantic love, because in his biography is the idea that part of his story is that he was marrying young couples at a time when the emperor had put an edict against marriage because the emperor was trying to build an army Mm -hmm. and he believed that young men would be better soldiers if they weren't worried about their wives, if they weren't married. But uh, St. Valentine was secretly marrying them and that was part of what got him uh, killed. And so the love that a person has for Jesus such that they're willing to disobey whatever the norm is in the culture, perhaps, or whatever the law is even, they would be willing to disobey unjust laws in order to be obedient to Jesus, who is their Lord. That's the kind of love affair that should always capture our imagination and inspire us to want to do the same, which is the whole point of the saints anyway, is to yeah. to give us models and inspiration. And hearing you uh, kind of recount a little bit of St. Valentine's story, it's just a reminder, too, of like just the the beauty of the stories of the saints. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because, you know, immediate gratification culture, 24-hour news cycle, you know, uh, we had the Super Bowl now a few weeks ago, um, you know, all this activity, and it's like, oh, here's a biography of a saint. And it's like, ah, oh, do I want to dive into this? I kind of know St. Augustine's story. Do I want to read it? You know, et cetera. But then you dive into it and the stories are really rich and they're really amazing. These are real people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what an opportunity during Lent to engage with the stories of the saints to enrich our own faith life as we move forward. Um, and some of them are pretty macabre because <laughs> of the very macabre ways that people killed each uh, other, you know, in the ancient world and... And, you know, I say that, right? And we say that. We think we're so advanced. Mm -hmm. It was just a few years ago we saw uh, 20-some Egyptians kneeling on a beach and watched these terrorists cut their heads off. Uh, So we haven't moved that far, right? We haven't moved the needle that far. The way that we kill people in prisons uh, using various means of capital punishment is really macabre when you think about it. 
uh, that we calmly and coolly kill these people this way. That's, mm. that's bizarre. Speaking of the saints and, you know, so many of them obviously having, you know, very different live lifestyles and lives and things like that, but just because of the time of, in which they live, there's, there's modern saints too. There's times there's saints of our, of our time. How does one, how does one, from your perspective, you know, come to know a saint? How does one develop a patron saint? How does one, you know, um, pick who to read about, who to, who to think about, who to, who to pray to or with? Can you pray to a saint? You know, I would say that probably all of us already know saints. And so um, it's important for us to, to remember that there is a distinction between canonized saints and saintly people. But it's not a real important distinction I would suggest. It's like when you think about the old lady who did all those church altar claws for 50 years at your parish and you go, oh, she was a saint. Or your parents or some great teacher that you had mm -hmm. or someone that you know. Yeah. Um, and so how do you get to know them? You allow yourself in humility to be impressed by holiness because all of us should be seeking it. Mm. If I don't have any humility, if I lack humility, if I allow the culture to make me a cynic, because that can easily happen, because we live in a really bizarre culture, uh, cultural time. Uh, but if I allow that to happen, if I become coarsened by the social media that I consume or by television or whatever it is, then it's going to be harder for me to be moved by simple goodness. Mm -hmm. And saints are people who are who, who display simple goodness. A canonized saint is canonized on the basis of what the church judges to be with evidence, heroic sanctity. But that canonized saint at the time they were living, was just someone that everyone recognized to be good, uh, to be holy. The entire world recognized Mother Teresa's goodness while she was living, and she herself was a very humble person who was certainly willing to recognize the goodness in other people as well. She then was canonized, the... the you know, the church collected the evidence of her heroic sanctity, which was easy in her case. And then she was uh, recognized in a formal way mm -hmm. by the church. But all of us are surrounded by saints. We just have to keep our eyes open for them. Who is, who is displaying uh, consistent goodness, you know? The saints are sinners, so it's not like we're looking for people who are perfect because we aren't. Sure, None of us yeah. is. The saints aren't. And yet the saints are consistently good, and they're consistently good because of their relationship with Jesus. They recognize that in him they have their, their uh, mission in life, their direction, and their goodness comes out of a desire to please him. And somehow it's, it's connected to a desire to please him to make a return mm -hmm. for the gifts that he's given them. When we say we're called to be saints, you know, I think that sometimes when we think about the lives of the saints, we go, well, it's, you know, there's, you know, 8 billion people 
you know, on the earth, we recognize, we've recognized quite a few saints, but when you look at it compared to 8 billion, it seems like a really small amount of people, which I think is where that logical thought sort of comes from. But what is that all about, called to be saints? Are we all truly called to be saints? Can every single one of us become a saint? What, what does that process look like? Yes, I would say that the, the call on us what calls us to be a saint is always God because God is the initiator of everything. <clears throat> it is God's love that has initiated the creation of the universe in order that there would be an environment in which we could come to be and in which he could reveal himself to us through that creation and as we come to realize what God has done for us out of his love for us, as we come to know the Savior and to, to spend time thinking about Jesus died for me, Jesus was trying to preach to me. He wanted me to understand what I'm for, what my mission is, what my purpose is. Uh, the more that we come to understand that love that's coming to us from God, that's where the call to be a saint comes from. Because being a saint is nothing more than a return, the meager return that we can make on that love which has already come to us. A saint is not someone who's doing extra. That's another way to think about it. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, the saint is not someone who's doing extra more than any of us ought to do. The saint is the person who has realized how much God loves them. And that inspires in them a consistent kind of holiness, a daily ordinary kind of holiness that eventually other people even come to recognize, usually people who have uh, been uh, helped by them, you know. Yeah, you, you make me think about, you know, living in the present moment. I think so often when we're distracted by it, we're reflecting too much on the past or too much on the future. And where am I now? Mm -hmm. Which is ideally where God wants me to be or where mm -hmm. where God needs me to be and where I'm being called by God to serve is is in this present moment. He's not calling me to serve, you know, somewhere else. I think about the Hail Mary, um, you know, which highlights the two most important times of our life, mm -hmm. which is now and at the hour of our death, mm -hmm. um, you know, which we we know when one of those times are <laughs> or is. And so uh, so that time is is important. So when I think about saints, when I read the lives of the saints, I've, I've thought about before how they have lived well in the present moment. Mm -hmm. They know they're loved by God. They're operating within that space that they have right in front of them to serve God and others. So you know, recently there was the the family that was canonized. Oh yeah, I forget now where they lived, but it was during the time of the the Second World War and then the Nazi uh, atrocities. And there were like seven children, mom and dad and seven children. Mom was pregnant. They were hiding Jews in the house. The SS soldiers showed up, pulled the Jews out of the house, and killed them, and then killed the mom and dad. And then because the children were just distraught and making noise and grieving. They killed all the children, buried them in the front yard, 
And later, when the villagers, their neighbors, exhumed the bodies to give them a proper burial, they found that the mother had given birth in the grave, that the baby she was pregnant with had been born after she had died. And so the church uh, canonized them. Now, the children were children, you know, they're canonized saints, but they were children just from being ordinary children and being in this holy family. These young parents had to have had a conversation between the two of them in their ordinary life. Now, their ordinary life included a, a circumstance, a societal circumstance that had gone so insane that just for hiding families from a corrupt regime that would kill them, they also were subject to being uh, murdered. That was their societal norm. Yeah, there was that was their present moment. That their they present were moment. With. But yet their courage was so profound that even though they had to have had this conversation between themselves where they said, look, if we do this, we're putting not just ourselves at risk, all of our children at risk. And still said to one another, but we can't not do this. How could we not do this? That The context of that question is a relationship with the Lord. It has to be. Where else are you going to have the strength? Uh, nationalism by itself is not going to do that. The context of that question is in a relationship with the Lord in which you say, Jesus gave his life for me. I can't not do this. I'm going to do this. And they did it. It cost them their lives. Here, we believe in heaven. And so this family is together and, and in the life of heaven. That's what we believe. And now the church has, has canonically declared it to be so. And so, understanding children, too, to your point, you know, just these kids were kids. Ordinary kids. They were just doing what kids do, and they saw their parents killed right in front of them, and they reacted the way that children would react, and they were killed for that. Mm. And the church recognizes in that an ordinary holiness, because that's what saints are displaying at a heroic level in ordinary holiness. Now, many of the saints are martyred. Many of the saints happen to be martyrs, and martyrs are certainly displaying a heroic a uh, kind of holiness, a kind of courage. Uh, but you know, one of the one of the groups of saints that has increased in number, particularly with uh, the beginning of uh, John Paul II's papacy, was married saints, and many of those were married people who simply were <laughs> living a ordinary married life, raising children the best they could, teaching them the the faith but doing that at a heroic level and we're raised mm-hmm. to, to the altars of the church. There's a great resource out there that I know we, we listen to and, and many families listen to. Um, I forget what it's called now. It's escaping me, but um, it's called like living saints um, or something like that. But it, it's these, it's these stories. So we'll listen to them in the car. And so listen mm. to the lives of the saints, you know, saints alive. That's the name of it. Oh, okay. And so, uh, and you'll listen to the lives of the saints and these voice actors, they act out, you know, the lives of the saints. Oh, wow. So my children always tell me, they're always like, uh, one day, uh, one of my kids turned to me and said, uh, dad, I love the martyrs mm-hmm. just out of nowhere. You know, your kid has a, a, sort of this exasperative thought of 
I love the martyrs. And I said, well, why do you love the martyrs? Because they always die. <laughs> and that was the response. And so, you know, in thinking about it, um, it's amazing. It's amazing how, how death sort of captivates us, even from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's amazing how even as children, one can be impacted by the, lo- the stories of the saints, the lives of the saints mm-hmm. um, can be impacted by that. I think a common misconception or maybe a misunderstanding by folks is the way we we as Catholics celebrate the saints. You know, mm-hmm. when you go to Rome, you know, we've got a head of somebody here. I mean, we just had St. John <laughs> Brebeuf's head. You said at St. John. John de Brebeuf. De, John de Brebeuf. We had it. Where was it at? At St. John's in Stillwater. St. John's in Stillwater. Uh, the skull, which is the, we had the, yeah, we didn't have his head. We had a skull. And so, uh, which is very father Kerry, right? You go to St. John's in Stillwater. <laughs> he's like, he's like, we got the head here. No, I'm just kidding. That's a terrible impression of father Kerry. But anyway, so like, you know, you go to Rome and you see all this stuff and it's like, well, here's this person's, uh, you know, here's their femur bone or here's right. their rib bone. Right. You know, Stanley Rother's rib is in Rome. We talked about before, uh, we got live here. Um, and so, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstandings about, we as Catholics and how we sort of approach the saints because they are ordinary people. So um, what would you say to someone who says, do you worship saints? Do you pray to a saint? Do you pray through a saint? Um, Mm -hmm. How does that work? How would you sort Mm -hmm. of uh, explain that to someone? Yeah, I suppose one, one way for people to see it who aren't Catholic, perhaps, maybe even for Catholics, is who doesn't go to the cemetery to visit their relatives? Yes. Uh, why do you do that? Why do you go to a grave to visit your relative who has died? Mm. Why do you need to go to a place, a specific spot? Uh, um, the um, I was just thinking, uh, it caused me to think of the title of one of... Um, the early works, the scandal of the incarnation. Scandal of the incarnation. Um, the scandal of the incarnation was that God, the God of the universe, the God who created everything from nothing, became a particular person in a particular place and time. Um, so that's a way for people to get the Catholic reverence for the remains the mortal remains of saints, of saintly people. It's tied to the same reverence that we have or ought to have for the mortal remains of anyone and of people that we love. Um, And we have this reverence for these mortal remains because they connect us to the holiness of these people, these people who lived and who were models of what it looks like to make a return to the Lord for the goodness he has given to us. Um, We call on the saints. We ask them to intercede for us because we believe, that's the whole point of canonization, uh, we believe with a moral certainty that they are in the life of heaven, that they are there with the Lord. We don't believe that the ties that bind us on earth are simply broken and no longer count for anything. After we die, we believe that there's some kind of a communion that exists in the mind and heart of God between those living on earth and those who are in the life of heaven. And so we call on them. We ask them to pray for us. But it's the same kind of asking someone to pray 
that we do for each other. You know, if I'm sick and I'm asking friends and family members, please pray for me, I have to go for surgery, or please yep. pray for me, I have this terrible exam coming up, or That's whatever right. it is. Um, so the saints are our friends too, and so we're simply asking them to intercede for us. We honor them in our worship of God. We don't worship them. That's right. We include them in our worship of God mm -hmm. because they always point us to the one that made them saints, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I always have heard before, um, you know, if you're looking for a patron saint or, or a saint to ask for their intercession or to, um, to ask for a little help, you know, uh, along the way, look for someone who is the patron saint of whatever you need. Mm -hmm. You know, and the most obvious example of this is, of course, St. Anthony, people uh, who lose things and try to find things and yeah. things like that. I think it's the most simple and like, you know, sort of low level, but yet high level way of thinking about it. I mean, so often when something's lost in our house, you'll hear somebody say, Tony, Tony, turn around. What is lost shall be found. Um, and so, which is maybe not quite a prayer. Maybe if we had a little amen at the end or sign of the cross at the beginning. But the point being just, you know, using the saints saying, hey, you know, um, and then also look at reading their writings. You know, we have so many writings of the saints. Mm -hmm. There's so many doctors of the church. There's um, great minds along the way that have written many, many yeah. amazing things. And that's where you really sort of um, get saints as a mentor. I had heard that along the way. In my own formation, I had heard somebody at some point say something about, um, you know, one, one of the saints that they had read about had, had been a mentor to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so they had association with them. And I thought, oh, that's really neat. And what I realized is because someone had asked me in the past, they said, you know, who are your mentors or who are you? And then what I realized over time, I thought, oh, you know, some of these saints, you know, St. John Chrysostom, who I'd read, you know, some of his, you know, writings and reflection on the Gospels he's sort of shaped a lot of maybe my perspective on mm -hmm. the way I read the gospel or maybe the way I think about the gospel in some ways directly, in some ways indirectly maybe. Um, and so um, there's an opportunity there to sort of be mentored by uh, the saints through their writings and through, through their offerings. Unless you don't, you know, the, so, so that's part of it. You know, we, we always, pardon me, when we're talking about the faith, we're always recognizing that, uh, our faith is in God, not in ourselves, and that any good deed, any good thing that we're able to do first comes from God. The ability to do it first comes from God. But we can make a response and we can strive to open ourselves more to God. And so the saints are a way for us to do that. Uh, you know, what are all the things that we spend time on? TV, social media, magazines, radio, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But we can use the lives of the saints. There are plenty of them. Uh, books that are written about them or saints like John Paul II or Pope Benedict who will be decades unpacking all the things that they wrote. Um, saints who've left such things behind that we can engage with uh, and that then help us to become better disciples. And the disciple is the one who's most open to the teaching of the master. And so the saints can help us to become open. So, you know, we can do something. We can respond. Anytime we respond, we're, we're recognizing God has gone first. This is not me. I don't have anything to boast of here. But... Because God is gone, 
I can go second. I can always go second. I can always do something. Yeah. I like, I really like your point on honoring the way you honor the saints is, is you follow the Lord Mm -hmm. um, and honor God through that because you're, you're doing what they have dedicated their lives to. And so Mm -hmm. I I think that that's, that's a really strong point. Have you ever felt in your life, Bishop, that a saint has interceded for you or um, have you ever had a friend or a family member where you felt a saint has interceded for them or, or anything like that? Well, we did, uh, we did even publish one or um, process one canonical investigation about a saint, about a miracle that we believe that was brought about by a saint's intercession here in the diocese. Uh, the the case involves Mother Catherine Macaulay from St. Francis, from the Religious Sisters of Mercy, foundress of the Religious Sisters of Mercy at St. Francis Hospital. And so, you know, part of the process of canonization, I said, involves gathering evidence. And some of the evidence is actually a miracle uh, that we believe with moral certainty. That's all we can have. This is not mm-hmm. math. <laughs> we believe with moral certainty was brought about by the intercession of this saint. Someone asked for some miraculous uh, occurrence from the saint, and it happened. In this case, it was the healing of a young boy who was very, very sick. Uh, in my own case, I always had this this very fond, this great fondness for John Paul II. He was a relatively new pope still when I entered the seminary. Um, and, and when I came back to faith, really, when I came to a deeper faith. And once I knew of him and understood him and saw the courage, saw his courage, uh, that's what drew me to him. And when I got to go to Rome in, in 2017, I guess it was, uh, that was the first time I'd been back to Rome since 1989. <laughs> so I had not seen anything that had to do with his uh, illness or his late years as a pope or his death and burial. Uh, It was the first time I was able to be in the presence of his mortal remains. And so there in the Vatican, one of the things that I definitely had high on my list of things I wanted to do during that trip was to go to his tomb and to thank him for all that he had done and all he had done for me as a priest and now as a bishop. And to ask him <laughs> to pray for me as sure. a bishop, uh, still feeling and still do today, uh, both unworthy and unprepared for this office. So, um, so I definitely felt that closeness. It's an ordinary thing. It's not a miraculous thing. It's an ordinary thing. Uh, definitely felt that closeness to John Paul just because he's been a a mentor, patron for me uh, for many years. So all of us can develop that kind of a relationship with any number of the saints. Of course, I feel a fondness for many saints, Mm -hmm. many of whom I've read various things of theirs, but only a few do I know very well. And so there's even that deeper relationship. Now, isn't that just like all of our other friends that are living we we have many acquaintances, but there's only a few, maybe even just one or two, who are really deep friends who we've come to know yeah. in such a way that we have this great fondness and trust in them. And so can it be with the saints? 
Now, you went to Rome in 89 and you were saying you went back, you know, for baby bishop school, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I can relate to that as well. Actually, I think it's funny. I have kind of a similar story. I was uh, went and saw uh, John Paul's tomb in 2012 um, mm. in Rome. And, uh, yeah, just felt, I have always kind of felt somewhat not attached, but just close. I would say the closeness is a way to describe it. Um, all the stories about him, uh, people would always say things like, oh, he's an athlete, which I think he had an appreciation for sports. I think he's maybe a little bit of an outdoorsman. There's a famous picture of him where he's wearing like this, you know, exactly the picture I'm talking about. There's a big fish laying out on the ground in front of him. (laughs) He looks like he's wearing a pair of Crocs or something. He's not wearing Crocs, but you know, and he's got like a, what looks like a, you know, like a handkerchief around his head, like some sort of a rag or something like that. And so, you know, just look like kind of a normal guy. Um, and so there was always, and there was always this great appreciation for him. And so growing up as a kid and who's our Pope and this guy's a great, you know, priest, bishop, and now Pope, um, you know, for, for our church. And so, uh, yeah, just always thought, thought that that was something special along mm-hmm. the way. And so, um, I remember, I remember praying in front of his tomb and, uh, and really being in Rome in general, it, it's that constant, uh, that constant information over overload of, Oh my gosh, you're standing next to this mm-hmm. guy. And, oh my gosh. And then you're like, I don't even know who this guy is. And then you like read a story <laughs> and you're like, Oh my gosh, I practically was stepping on his head, you know, yeah. and just, and so, you know, there's always that it's almost overwhelming when you're there. Um, it is interesting though, that father Stanley Rother, um, is his whole body, uh, is, is literally here in Oklahoma in the altar, in the altar of the shrine of yeah. the shrine which is kind of wild. So. Well, and, and 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 as you get to know his story, you, you realize that he would probably hate <laughs> all, yes. of, all of this attention uh, because he was definitely not a person who was trying to garner attention. That's right. Um, he would understand it on a level, but he would, you know, as he was, he wouldn't have liked it. But... He's a great model for a priest, particularly anywhere, but in Oklahoma, because he was such a humble, simple guy. He did not go to Guatemala to become a martyr. He went to Guatemala to serve people, people who were really uh, poor and on the margins of the world. And in the present moments of his days, it ended up in circumstances that caused him to be martyred. But that's the way it is for all of us and the way it has always been for all the saints. They did what they did because of the ordinary things that are in front of them today to do, whatever the circumstances were. But they were trying to do them in a way that honored Jesus who they loved and who they believed was with them. And so should we. Well, thank you for joining us this week on Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. My name's Derek Lissy. We hope you have a great rest of your week. Bye.